Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Chad Vokelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 145. Oh yeah. New York Comic Con! Yeah. Oh, it, was, it was so much fun, guys. My favorite part was how Jim was there. <laughs> uh, in spirit, maybe. No, you Actually, didn't even have enough. You didn't even have enough energy to send your spirit. I, I didn't. You're right. I didn't. <laughs> we should have stolen your soul like the Guardians did to Hal Jordan that time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. All of a sudden, I just felt this this lightness of energy. <laughs> oh man. So uh, you guys both went to the con, and I stayed home with my new baby. You sound so disappointed. No, I mean, like, you know, if going to cons is fun for you, you know, that's that's great for you guys. I, you know, had a baby to stay with, so, you know, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you made the right choice. <laughs> okay, well, question. Did either of you, when you ended up getting home on Monday or whatever, you know, and it was all over... Um, did either of you have, like, you know, the con crud, the, the cold, the sneezing, the coughing, anything like that? Uh, I did, but only because I came back to Austin and was re-exposed to all the allergens in the air that I was, that was killing me before I left. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, being in, being here in the New York, New Jersey area made Chad healthier. <laughs> <laughs> the only, the only... Like, negative impact I got from the convention is how, like, my sleep schedule is out of whack now. <laughs> like, now I'm fa- I'm getting tired at, like, 1 or 2 in the morning as opposed to 4 or 5 in the morning. I'm not, I'm not liking this. That's crazy. I know. It's super early. <laughs> oh, so, um, I guess, uh, you guys get anything cool? Um, I got a couple of commissions. Uh, which I posted in our forums and will probably go up in the galleries soon at some point from, on the website. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Con crud! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, freaking allergies. Um, I, um, I got a commission from Adam Withers of Shadow Lass. And I got a commission from Scott Collins of uh, Solomon Grundy. Yeah, it's it's kind of reminiscent of his cover to the Solomon Grundy trade, but it's like he he like you look at his works, his commission works, and you can tell he has so much fun doing them. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely jealous of the uh, the Grundy. I knew you would be. That's sick. The only difference that I would do is have him drawn with a Black Lantern ring. No, I I wasn't doing that. I basically went up to Scott and I said. You know, uh, I'd like to get a commission. Do you have time for it? And he put me on his list. He's like, well, what would you want? I said, I, I, I saw him in Grundy, probably. And then I kind of backtracked a second. And I said, or, you know, any other monster from the DC universe whatsoever. Right. Uh, just because uh, if you ever get a chance to get a commission by Scott Collins, yeah. go for something monstery because the guy loves monsters. So he will go all out on your commission. Next time you should get plasmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he just does Grundy so well. It's like I wrote on the forum. It's it's almost like he was born to draw that character. Yeah. That was that was fantastic. The uh, the Adam Withers. Um, I think I have a feeling it was probably because it was Shadow Lass. Um, the, he drew her face like 
almost like creepy like yeah which i i imagine like he was going for yeah i mean that makes sense it makes sense for her character and for the yeah. kind of piece he was doing where it was like dark and yeah this like creature coming out of the shadows and the blackness yeah um yeah i mean like the aside from her face it's drawn like you know very like sultry but the face is definitely doesn't have that like you know kind of creepy tone um, well what the one thing about the adam withers piece is i paid for a pencil sketch oh yeah and uh he was like i just i just couldn't do this without putting ink in it so <laughs> he put all that black in there that's awesome um i saw him he did a uh an adam eve for um ian levenstein um who was i am sci-fi on the cgs forums it's like it's like fully colored and everything like that it's like it's gorgeous um so between that and your shadow last i'm thinking i'm probably gonna have to get something done for, you know by him at some point super show maybe yeah, I picked up one of like my two con purchases that wasn't for you <laughs> was um was um like he did this tremendous Teen Titans print where it's kind of like a a mixing of the Jeff Johns era group with <clears throat> the Teen Titans Go cartoon group with the Young Justice group and it's all like what if they were all like like contemporaries and existed together as like this like rounded out team it's it's just it's a really like i've seen the pencils for this image online before i've never seen the it in color and i had to get i had to get one it's like have you seen this thing jim no i haven't actually Let me look for it now i think beyond that i got like a couple of those like little vinyl pu uh, pulp heroes to add to my collection but I don't know, I was talking to you about this. I think, like, the larger the con, the less money I tend to spend at it. Which is yeah. kind of weird, because you're like, how many hundreds of dollars did you spend? I'm like, I don't know, like, 30 bucks? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> last, uh, la last New York Comic Con, I spent under $100, which was, like, like, staggeringly less than I had spent at previous cons. Because a lot of times when I go, I like to go for, you know, commissions and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I last count, you know, I got a couple of, uh, additions to my, my jam pieces and whatnot, but since it's like the size of a sketch card, that stuff doesn't really cost as much now. So yeah, I save a lot of money like that, but I definitely like scoping out like, you know, the new stuff on like the indie, uh, the indie aisle. Yeah. Our Sally was, was impressive this time around because, you know, it was almost like being at mocha in the middle of new york comic-con where it was like this i think someone compared it to like an airplane hangar or it was it was that size and that shape you did oh i did yeah <laughs> that was a good comparison i made <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was really what like it it was it had all natural lighting the aisles were spaced out and it it kept going back there was like rows and rows and rows of rows like it, like I could, you could have spent the entire weekend just in there, and it was a nice break from the craziness of the rest of the show, which is is good because it was like it was basically in its own wing, away from the rest of the con, but people were doing good business anyway by the by Saturday, which was something that a lot of people were kind of worried about on Friday. You know, um, actually that brings up something that I wanted to 
to mention. Um, some of the complaints that I was hearing was that, well, one, that the con was incredibly crowded, but two, that since Artist Alley was so far away from everything else, like, you'd have, like, professionals and stuff like that who'd be at Artist Alley, and they'd have to leave, like, 30 or 45 minutes earlier to get to, like, a signing or a panel or anything like that, because it just took so long to get anywhere else from Artist Alley. Yeah, well, the thing that hurt Artist Alley the most, I think, was the fact that you had to go down, like, this long corridor just to get to it first. Right. I don't know if you remember from past years, but you come in the main doors of the Javits Center. Right. You go immediately to the right, and that takes you to the hallway to Artist Alley. Oh, so it's where, like, the cars and the signings used to be last year. I guess. I don't remember. Is there Was there, like, like um, at the front of that section... Was there like a, a like um like a landing and then a stairwell yes. down? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So so you had like you come in the front doors right in front of you is where everybody has to queue up to pick up their tickets. The to the left of you is where everybody has to go to get to the other show floors, and to the right of you is the hallway to Artist Alley. So like you had to go through like this giant stopgap of all these different things to go to and from Artist Alley. Yeah, that's that. That's definitely a hike. Well, Chad, now this this was your first New York, so, and I'm looking at figures right now that say there was 116,000 people. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the crowd? Like, how was the crowd for you? Was it manageable? Was it overwhelming? Friday was good. Um, Friday, I mean, obviously it was a. Uh, it was the first day I was there, so I was like, oh my god, this is huge. Skip Saturday to see the city. Once I got in on Sunday, I realized how calm and nice Friday was. <laughs> um, but Sunday Sunday wasn't that busy, but it, I, I've been told it was almost as busy as Saturday. Not quite. Sunday was Sunday was like a middle ground between Friday and Saturday. I think in terms of if I was to rank the days from best to worst, it would be Friday, Sunday, Saturday. I did go to the show Saturday, and it, it, the instant you walk in the door, you are shuffling forwards at, like, three feet an hour the entire way through. Like, I, la- I lasted, like, three hours before I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> First thing that happened to me Friday, though, is I, uh, you know, I walked over to CGS booth just to say hi, uh, and then I swung by the Neil Adams table to get him to sign my uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 85, which is the cover where it shows Speedy with heroin. And then I walked over to meet uh, Edgar uh, over at the DC booth. And Edgar couldn't be on this episode, but he's going to go ahead and leave us a voicemail with his thoughts on the con and and stuff like that so he can be included in this episode because he was a big help to all of us. Uh, So... Just make sure we'll have his voicemail in uh, later on in the episode <clears throat> with his thoughts. But uh, uh, after that, you know, I, w- I was talking to Edgar, and then uh, he was like, "Well, do you want to do you want to meet Dan Adio? I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure, why not?" <laughs> he was like, you know, four feet to my left or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, da- uh, Edgar talked to I think it was Liana or something like that. I can't remember her her 
her name correctly. I apologize. Uh, she was a sweetheart anyways, but um, and very helpful. And I guess she was like Dan's handler or something. I, I don't know what, what you would call her. Um, but uh, she was like, hey, he explained who I was. And she told Dan, and Dan came over and talked to me. I got a picture taken with Dan. Um, and then after we took the picture, I had like a five-minute conversation with Dan Dio, And I'm not talking like at the table. I'm talking just standing in the middle of DC Comics booth. Just sit, just sitting there talking to Dan DeDio for about five minutes about Phantom Stranger and stuff. Did you plug your Phantom Stranger podcast? I, I did not, oh. because there is no such thing. Loan opportunities. Um, <laughs> I got him to sign my uh, Phantom Stranger number zero, and, and we talked for uh, about for about five five or six minutes about just Phantom Stranger, just just standing there. That was a hell of an experience to. Uh, first, you know, first experience for D, for uh, New York Comic Con, you know, talking to Neil Adams to get him to sign something I respect, and then having a random five minute conversation with the publisher of DC Comics. <laughs> well, didn't you tell me that Jim Lee jumped in too, or so, what was that? No, Jim Lee. Um, Jim Lee kind of just showed up uh, a, a few minutes later, uh, and went to went to talk to Dan. Um, I guess they were going to do an interview because uh, DC Comics had an interview kind of section set up for people to sit down on like couches with like a DC background to interview <laughs> and stuff like that. And uh, but Jim Jim Lee was there. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I really have no desire to talk to him. I mean, I respect his art and everything, but you know, it's not something I grew up with or you know something that whenever I see it in a comic, I'm like, holy shit, you know, anything like that. I just I, I respect the guy work but not enough to you know make an effort to go talk to him or get him to sign anything or something like that you could have asked him about his uh his green lantern redesigns for this uh you know this reboot and also uh green lantern 150 with the kyle run huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh well <laughs> but uh but yeah uh it was cool and then um did a little bit of shopping um I bought the first appearance of Black Hand. That's true. For like what? What was that? Like? Dan, it was like thirty bucks. So, yeah, yeah, it was low like that. Cause I, I distinctly remember you kept saying, "Should I get this? Should I get this?" I'm like, <sighs> "Yes, yes, do that." <laughs> yeah, first appearance of Black Hand in pretty good condition uh, for like thirty bucks. And Dan and I kind of wandered around some of the uh, some of the shops that were selling like old issues. We saw a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, like CGC graded issues and stuff, uh, and displayed. And some of them were uh, like old school Alan Scott issues. And we just kept talking about how we would love to have an old Golden Age Green Lantern book in our collection. Really, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> I, kept, and, uh, I kept telling Chad to make a distraction, but he didn't. <laughs> um, one of the ones I saw I really liked was uh, they had the first appearance of Grundy. Yes. Uh, that was pretty cool. How much was that? Um, all the ridiculous. money. Like two yeah, it's all the like money. That. All the monies. Um, they had the first appearance of the Justice League, like two copies of it. Um, uh, I think one of them had the first appearance of Alan Scott. I can't remember. I don't think that was there. There was Flash of Two Worlds, though. Flash of Two Worlds was there. That was crazy cool. Um, and, oh, the... Uh, that's funny. We, we so we we didn't see the first appearance of Alan Scott, but we did see. Uh, well, I at least saw Action Comics number one and Detective Twenty Two. Was that at the Uncle Giuseppe's Comic Museum booth? 
I, I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of caught it in passing. I kind of mm-hmm. looked down and saw the CGC graded thing, and I saw this cover inside, and I was like, wait, that's that's Action Comics? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, what else did I get? I uh, I got a book. I, I watched this show with uh, my friend uh, Jackie. Uh, it's called New Girl on Fox with Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, there was a book there. It was like the Schmidt journals, like the douchebag journals. <laughs> and uh, it's basically in the show. There's a character named Schmidt who's like kind of says a lot of douchebaggy things. And every time he does or says something douchebaggy, he has to put money in a jar. And this book kind of chronicles what he put money, how much money he put in the jar and what for. Uh, and um, so I got that for her and it came with a, uh, a free reader's copy of like a 400 page novel <laughs> and uh, a, a tote bag with the cover of the, sh- the douchebag journals on it. So that was cool. And uh, I got a lot of signatures, some from Nei, some from Scott. Um, I tried to get Sean Murphy of punk rock Jesus to sign some stuff, but he wasn't there every time. Every time I walked by his booth, he wasn't there. Um, but I got Mike Norton and Tim Seeley to sign my copies of Revival. Um, yes. Oh. <laughs> as soon as you walked away from that block of tables, you, tur- you turned to me and say, Tim Seeley's eyes are the deepest blue <laughs> eyes I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I'm just laughing not. at Chad. Chad's going on about how dreamy his eyes are. Oh, I did not. I could have sworn you were going to forget about this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, no, it was, it, but I, I did turn from the table. I was like, that dude's eyes are like super blue. And the only reason I recognize it is because in my family, um, there is one side of my family, my, uh, my uncle Greg, uh, his kids and him, uh, they have super blue eyes. So, you, you know, every time you meet my cousins on my, on my dad's side, you can absolutely tell whose whose kids his are because they have really really blue eyes, just naturally. Um, nice, nice save, Chad. So Tim, if you're listening, it's Chad at LandryCast.com. Shoot him a message. He'll he's probably gonna be too shy to make the first move. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chad, yeah. how many issues is Revival? Uh, I've got three right now. Okay, yeah, I have three, and actually, it's funny because. I mean, I'm so behind on, like, reading comics and stuff like that, that the last time I went to a comic book store, which was, like, just a couple of days before, you know, my son was born, figured, you know, get it one last time before I can't go for a while. <laughs> and I'm in there, and I see that they have Revival number three, so I grab that, and then I see Revival number two, and it's a second print. And, like, they huh. wanted, like, eight bucks for the first print. Hmm. I'm yeah. like, damn it. I'm like, I don't think I got this one. So I grabbed the second print, even though I didn't want a second print. And uh, as soon as I get home, I realize now I have the first and second print of number two. So Nice. <laughs> you should sell the first one for $8. <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only negative thing I'll say about New York, um, the, the Comic-Con at least, and I love, I love Neil Adams. there's there's no question about how much i love the guy we'd love to have him on the show going forward that kind of stuff but i do have to say i was really disappointed in the fact that neil adams uh absolutely yeah he yeah he charges 10 bucks 
for an autograph. Yep. Which is a little ridiculous, I think. Um, the guy, he's he's great. You know, he's he's a cool guy, and he's got a lot of awesome prints there. He's got his own table set up, and all this awesome stuff. You know, obviously he charges for for commissions and, and things like that, but ten bucks for an autograph. Uh, I, I mean, I obviously since I got his <laughs> autograph, I shelled it out anyways because I just I you know I had to have him sign something. Oh, that's but, that's that's not the worst pricing that he had going on there. Yeah, go oh. ahead, man. So you know that all-in-one Green Lantern Green Arrow trade that Chad talked about for the Lark Police report a little while ago. We're seeing <laughs> it's the entire thing. It's like a $30 trade. Well, if you get it from him at his table, he'll sign it and do like a little head sketch in it, and it costs you like $89. Wait. Oh my god. Yeah. And I'm not saying, oh my god, as in that's crazy, because, oh my god, he'll do a head sketch in a $30 book and charge you $90. That's actually like, that's not a bad price for Neil Adams' art. You are as whacked in the head as he is. No, because like, okay, I'm I'm obviously like a huge fan of Neil Adams' art. Like, in my eyes, he is like one of like the, one of the, the biggest, he had the biggest impact, one of the biggest impacts on Green Lantern art, you know, in the entire time that Green Lantern's been, been running. Because if you look now, most of the images that you find on shirts and licensed material is based on Neil Adams' artwork. So, like, the, you cannot deny his impact. And, I mean, his impact on everything else is incredible. But to get Neil Adams' artwork, it's incredibly expensive. And, <clears throat> like, I've, I've seen, like, a number of times where, like, you can you go on eBay and it ends up costing, like, like a hundred dollars or more for a head sketch or something ridiculous and you know it's it's just like a tiny little little sketch and usually the best deals are when you get like um like a trade or something like that and he does a head sketch in it um and between that and i think the the you know charging for a signature i'm pretty sure he does that because he knows that there's a lot of people that just get his autograph and then flip it on ebay yeah probably but I didn't. <clears throat> I did make a point to say, I said, Neil, I love your stuff. For God's sakes, I'm doing. I, I tried to do the the temp, the uh, the sideshow or whatever. Um, but you know, I guess he was really busy. Uh, and I said, I, I I I'm not selling this. Will you personalize it right to Chad or, or something like that? And he still charged me ten bucks anyways. So. Yeah, I mean, it's if comes down to a person-to-person -person thing like me personally like i put almost no value on signatures and like subtract the price of the trade and you're paying like 60 bucks for him to do a little doodle and like chat like that's about as much as chad paid for the scott collins grundy which is so like if it was on that level like that's worth it but like it's just some i don't know i don't know i saw that and inside was like, no fucking way, and walked away. Yeah, and um, basically my theory going into the con is I'm not bringing anything to get signed that I don't want signed for me. Like, right. I'm not bringing anything in there 
especially going on such a long trip. But I, I do this even with Austin Comic Con. I don't bring anything to get signed that I would be pissed if I gave it to them and they wrote to Chad or something on there. Like if, if they personalize it, awesome. You know, like I don't I'm not going to get anything signed that I'm gonna resell on eBay or anything like that. Jim, now would be an excellent time to ask Chad about other things he got signed. <laughs> Wait, did you get other things signed? I tried. Mm. <laughs> I bought a uh, $20. By the way, this is an awesome investment. If you can go to uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, they usually ha uh, they have these uh, bound editions of you know classic stories, but it's like three novels in one and like a hardcover for like 20 bucks. Well, they had one for Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles, so it had uh, Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire Lestat, and Queen of the Damned in one hardcover, awesome-looking book. Oh, okay, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I lugged that damn thing up to New York Comic Con because I missed Anne when she was here in Austin at Book People signing because she had just released a book called The Wolf Gift. Right. Um... Uh, I was I happened to be training for my new job that day, um, and I just couldn't go. But the uh, I lugged the thing up to New York Comic Con. I go down to the uh, – she, she was signing from 3 to 4. I get down there to get in line a uh, little after 3, and that line looks like a four-hour line. Yeah, it, it went from one end of the building to the other and then looped back around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, so you didn't end up getting it signed. No. Yeah, I mean, like, there are certain, certain, you know, people that uh, are always going to just attract a huge line like that. Uh, I'm sure, like, a lot of, like, the media guests as well. Um, and, I mean, Anne Rice is really no different because how many of her movies, her name is actually in the title. Um, yeah. So, I mean, she is a really big name, and she was a, a really big draw for a lot of people who were not there for comics, which is kind of awesome because, you know, all these people who aren't into comics now are exposed to comics because she was there. Yeah. But, yeah, for something like that, you need to get there, like, way ahead of time. And, uh, and to our credit, though, like, we thought her signing was at 5 Right. And then found out that it was at 3. We found that out at like 2.55. And we made it there from Artist Alley in like 5 minutes. So, so I'm, <laughs> I take that as a personal victory. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you for the most part in terms of uh, signings and whatnot. Um, most comics, I could care less if they're signed. It's only if like an issue <clears throat> has like special significance to me. Um, like any cover that I want to get like a jam piece done of, then like, I'd like the actual comic signed by the creator. So I have, uh, I have a, you know, the one comic signed by Walt Simonson and I have the other one signed by Adam Hughes, um, which is awesome. That's really cool. You know, like at some point in the future, if I actually have space to hang things up, like I can hang that cover up next to the jam piece. And it'll look really cool. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, like, regular comics getting signed. It's like, you know, it's cool that you're meeting. I, I Like, for me, I'd much rather meet the creator and get a photo with them than to get, like, a, an autograph or anything like that. Or, you know, get 
like actual original art or something. Yeah. And we never actually saw Jeff Johns. No. So. We, we, we stalked him. We, we were creepers for a little while, but it didn't work out. <laughs> and can I say, the DC booth was like, it was huge this year. It's like they had like a big chunk of the show floor. Yeah, and I posted a few pictures on Twitter. So if you guys haven't followed our Twitter, uh, go follow us at LanternCast. And um, there should, you know, just scroll down to some of the later tweets. I was going to post a whole lot, you know, during the con and everything. But Signal was terrible, uh, as I was informed prior. But I was hoping maybe I'd get a good spot here or there. So I, I only posted the pictures I took. Uh, and I only took so many pictures because there's a, with the con that crowded... You kind of, if you're not used to it, you kind of feel guilty stopping in the middle of an aisle and taking a picture. Oh my god! So <laughs> that's that was my big. Other than the crowds on Saturday, that was my big complaint about this convention. Like I, I understand it's a thing that just happens and it's not unique to this con, but people taking cosplay pictures in the middle of an aisle or staircase or line or whatever and they just like stop for like a minute to do it before moving on it's like it's like go somewhere else it's like can't you uh, I, it, it sucks it just sucks and that's nothing against the cosplayers or the people who want to have the pictures of the cosplayers it's just like a really crappy situation yeah and the only other thing i bought while i was there was the uh the print from katie cook of uh the yes. lantern the lantern kittens yeah, I'm. I got that. I knew. I. I knew. I probably would have picked it up this this coming year at Super Show, but I couldn't pass it up. One of you guys is gonna have to remind me about that because I forgot that existed. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually remembered that like a few months ago, and I'm like, man, I don't have that yet. Yeah, that's one of those like I want to frame and put up somewhere. Yeah, uh, Chad, you commented a a bunch of times how awesome it was that she was swamped the entire show. Yeah, I mean, my only experience with Katie Cook is uh, Super Show. So for all I know, it's like this at every other show she's gone to. But every time we walked by her booth, and there's a picture of this up on uh, at the LanternCast Twitter page, she had her own little line, and it she's, was awesome. She's one of the biggest con draws lately. Um, and, and also, what you call it, if she does a sketch card in uh, like a collectible card series her cards are the most collectible like yeah, yeah it's it's like uh, and also she writes the, the my little pony friendship is magic comic yes which like sold like 90,000 pre-order copies right yep yes. it, it outsold the x-men <laughs> um so yeah i mean like she has like a really really devoted like you know following especially from her star wars I was just going to say, I think she still does, like, the official Star Wars webcomic on their yeah. site or something like that. Yes. So, she's busy. <laughs> she's She's been, like, like she actually did a, a list of all the places that she's been this year. Yeah, I just saw that. And she's been to, like, a ton of states. It's, like, staggering. And she said, like, um, it was a few weeks ago where she posted, and it was, like, it was really interesting because she said, she's like, I never guessed that by becoming, you know, like a comic artist that I would get to travel so much. And I mean, like, honestly, like, who thinks about that? Like, if See? you are, like, you know, shooting to do travel, like, shooting to do comics, 
Like, who thinks that you're going to get flown out to, like, multiple states in a year? It always seems like the opposite, right? Like, this is the job I'm going to do locked in my house forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I miss seeing Katie Cook this year. I always, like, any convention that I go to that she's at, like, I have to at least get, like, a mini painting or something like that. And actually, on Sunday, she ran out. Oh, and by the way, the uh, the first appearance of Black Hand was Green Lantern number 29. With his Etch-A-Sketch of Doom. <laughs> this is the cover where it's like Hal Jordan is there, but only half of him is there, and Black Hand is like using what looks like a Netra sketch. So I like to think like he just like shook it a little bit, and Hal started disappearing. Well, I, I made a few contacts, so we can uh, do interviews uh, in the future. Um, I'd like to have Dan handle this one by himself, um, but but uh, the uh, the one with the. Uh, Dario, um, uh, yes, something. He's the artist who's doing the art for the uh, the Green Lantern animated series uh, comic. Okay. Um, so we got his contact information, and we'll do an interview with him uh, hopefully um, at some point. And since Dan's been reading that one a lot and really enjoys you know the the series as a whole, uh, the actual TV series as a whole, it'd be cool to see Dan you know do that one solo. Spread my wings. <laughs> But, but since since you know we haven't really talked about this on the show yet since uh, since uh, New York Comic Con, go ahead and do it. This would probably be a good time to announce what uh, Cartoon Network announced. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is actually kind of funny because on Friday before I found you, I went to the CGS booth and I was talking to Adam about the the Green Lantern cartoon because he's a huge. Crisis fan, and he loves the Anti-Monitor, and now they're using the Anti-Monitor as the big bad for the season. So we were, I was talking it up, telling him to check it out, and, and whatnot. Then the next day, it comes out that, that Cartoon Network has pulled DC Nation until January. And no word as to why. None of the people involved in making it have any idea why or what's going on or this or that. And everybody's pissed off and disappointed. Yeah, I listened to the CGS episode. Apparently you're pissed off and disappointed in Adam because he's the <laughs> reason it got canceled. Yeah, yeah. Because, because the day after I talked to him about it, it disappears. And then I see him the next day and he's like, well, actually, January works out for me because I'm in the Christmas business, so I won't have time to watch it until January. So he did it. <laughs> That's um, Adam at ComicGeekSpeak.com, everybody. Go get him. <laughs> and uh, we made two other connections that, uh, you know, hopefully at some point we'll be making an appearance interview-wise on the show. Um, Yvonne Hayes, um, the artist, uh, as I'm sure you, most of you are aware, um, if not, you know, he did Blackest Night, most of Blackest Night stuff, and uh, he's doing Aquaman now. We'll be doing Justice League soon. I and speaking, yes, <clears throat> I, Yvonne Hayes. Um, speaking of Justice League, <laughs> uh, we found out at the con that, uh, yes, Reese Prado and Reese uh, are, are, actually, Reese and Reese are going, to, are going to Justice League, but Prado is staying behind on Aquaman, which is great. Uh, coloring wise so that's that's awesome uh and then um with the other connection we made uh that we'll be interviewing at some point on the show in the future is joe staten oh yeah i talked to him actually at uh wild pig 
but yeah, I got, I got, I got all those, I got cards for all those people with their contact information. So at some point, uh, whether it be soon or later on, um, we will hopefully have them on the show. Yeah. And I wanted to throw out there, I didn't get to record this, <clears throat> but I did get the chance to talk to Cully Hamner for five or 10 minutes. He's a, he was the main artist on Green Lantern Mosaic. And it was, it was so weird. Like I, I walked up to him. I'm like, I'm like, hey, I just I just recently finished reading through Green Lantern Mosaic for the first time, and he did this like wide-eyed double take, like what? <laughs> but <laughs> what? It was your first time? Like people know what that is? <laughs> so you but, haven't read it three times already? You don't have it tattooed on your back? Come on. <laughs> but no, he was he was good, and we talked about like a bunch of like some of the questions I had about this about the book and all this and that, and and. Yeah, it was a good time. I hope to and, talk to him more about it in the future. And nobody will ever know those answers to your No, question. no, they won't. <laughs> Mostly because I can't remember them at this moment. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I I wanted to record with him, but like the planning didn't work out in time, and I didn't want to just drop it on him, surprise him with it, like at the show and everything. So hopefully in the future. But if not, he's a great guy. And we appeared on two other shows. Um... Uh, I appear on an episode of, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, the 80s comic book podcast. Uh, and this is, uh, one of the many podcasts put out by a company called First Comics News. Um, it's just me and my roommates, uh, for Thursday and Friday night, um, just kind of bullshitting about comics. Uh, it's prob definitely not going to be for our younger listeners. Um, there's, there's some... There's uh, some profanity as well as some probably uh, uh, offensive statements in there as well. Just because we're we're just kind of bullshitting and having fun talking about uh, whatever's going on at the con and that kind of stuff and comics lately over a few drinks. So <clears throat> there's that. Um, the episode hasn't been released yet, but check out firstcomicsnews.com uh, and the uh, the. Uh, podcast is called the 80s comic book podcast so you can try and find it on uh, uh itunes or whatever when once it becomes available and then dan and i um appeared on an episode of uh fire and water podcast which is done by uh shag matthews of firestormfan.com and rob kelly of aquamanshrine.com and uh, you can find uh, the podcast on either of those sites, um, or you can find it on iTunes. Uh, and it, the episode hasn't been released yet, but I'm going to assume that when, uh, as we record this, it'll be released probably Sunday, um, episode or Sunday, October 21st. Uh, usually, they release their episodes on new episodes on Sunday, so I would imagine that's when it's going to go up. Jim, you would be happy. You'd be proud. I coined us a catchphrase on the spot. <laughs> Oh God! Because they end they end their show because it's about Firestorm and Aquaman, so they always go out by saying you know fan the flame and ride the wave. And he just turned to us. He's like, I don't know if you guys have anything, so I'm like, light the lantern. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So, Chad. Yeah, you've been to New York Comic Con now. Would you go back, if not next year, in general? I I will go back. Um, New York overall, I will go back because um, I don't want to get into it on the show. Um, 
but there was a moment uh, in New York City where uh, on Saturday where my finances were all screwed up and I for about three hours I didn't think I had a place to stay uh, in New York City I was just standing there with my bags and like it, shit was going terribly terribly wrong um, so with better planning and stuff I, I definitely want to go back to New York City um, because because of that particular instance I get a, didn't get a chance to see as much of the city as I wanted to in the first place um, and I, I would go back for New York Comic Con, uh, if only because it's in New York. Um, you know, I'm sure there are bigger cons closer to me. Um, I do want to try Heroes Con at some point. Um, but uh, I, I think I would probably, I, w I would go back to New York, if, if only to see first and foremost how it's grown, because supposedly it's one of the more most rapidly developing uh, uh, conventions in North America. Uh, it's already second only to... Uh, San Diego, and it's only been around for what five or six years. Uh, I think so, something like that. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would go back, um, but you know, it really depends on how my experiences are at other large cons that I want to try and see, like Heroes or maybe Emerald City, uh, which is I think in Seattle. Um, yeah. So you know, I, those are the only two big cons I hear about that I want to try. Sorry, John. No Dragon Con cosplay just isn't a big draw draw for <laughs> oh. me. But uh, but yeah, uh, I I would definitely go back. Yes, I I've made the decision that I think I I've as of as of now, now and forever, I'm never going to this show on a Saturday ever again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> because two years ago, my experience at the show on Saturday was so awful. I skipped it for a year and then this year I, I i told you i was only there on saturday for about three hours before i left and i left because i could feel it welling up and building to that awful level i'm like nope i'm done i'm out <laughs> i'm not gonna let this melt down so i think i think next year and going forward i'm going to go for friday probably only friday because su Sunday is good, but it's kind of teetering on the edge of Saturday. So I think New York has become a Friday show for me. Yeah, well, that's that's why if I was going to go, it was going to be on Friday. Because, I mean, you know, people work. People work during the week. So Friday just is, like, you know, one of the days, you know, the less populated days. Um, <laughs> Saturday, I think in, in the future, you're probably going to see Sunday become even more popular than Saturday because the ticket's $35 for Sunday and it's like 50 something for Saturday. That's weird too cuz doesn't Sunday usually have like not just this con but cons in general like isn't Sunday usually like the one that stereotyped as being like the slow day where everybody goes home and crap and some people don't even stay for Sunday and well um I mean Sunday like a lot of them have like a kids day and sometimes uh, Sunday, you know, it'll close a little earlier than it does on Saturday. Um, but, yeah, New York Comic Con, the, their Sundays have been very, very busy lately. So, Chad, other than the whole badness <laughs> in the middle of Saturday, what did like, you think of New York City now that you finally got to make it there? <clears throat> it's funny that Jim says that... Um... Friday's the day, you know, everybody works because Friday, I didn't notice any difference because there's always somebody, there's always people out on the street. 
there's there's always people in that freaking city walking around doing stuff and like asses to elbows. Uh, so I don't know what you're talking about, but it doesn't seem anybody works. Uh, um, but it was cool. Um, once I got out of, because I took the train from uh, the Long Island, I took the Long Island Railroad from uh, JFK or from Jamaica rather to to Penn Station. And Penn Station is just underneath uh, Madison Square Garden, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I didn't know. Um, I, I know it. Me too. <laughs> so I got, out of, I got out of Penn Station, and I turned the corner and started walking around 7th, and I asked the cop where this particular hotel was, and he pointed right across the street where the, the Hotel Pennsylvania was. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> just right there. All right, well, there we go. Uh, and once I started walking around the city after I dropped my bags off in the room, I turned the corner from my hotel and right up the street, like one block is the Empire State Building. And then up the street, a few, a good few blocks and over uh, another one or two is Times Square. So I was right in walking. And so basically I'm intimately familiar with New York City from 30th to 40th and probably about 6th Avenue all the way to the Javits Center. So that block of New York City... <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I got that just fine. Nice. Um, uh, oh. And I, I did I did get a chance to go see my friend Amanda. We had breakfast together. I walked by the Ground Zero Memorial, which is construction still going on, and blocks off, they even blocked off part of the sidewalk so you can't walk up uh, the street. Uh, you have to kind of cut around and go through a building or whatever to get around that area to get to the other side. Um but I did see that they're making good headway on that uh, that uh, skyscraper that they're putting up. Um, but other than that, I didn't really get to see much of the city. I was gonna go see Central Park, maybe the museum. I was gonna go up onto the Empire State Building. Didn't get a chance to do that. Um, did get a chance to go to Times Square. That was cool. Uh, didn't see the Flatiron Building at all. Um, oh. But you know, it's it's all right. It's no problem. Yeah, and it just comes down to the fact that when you devote so much time to being at the show, that eats up a lot of your weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I will say I did have a lot of fun. Uh, Saturday, particularly, before all this crap happened with my bank, uh, I went to a bar called uh, Stouts, I believe, um, which is uh, <clears throat> like a block or two from the Empire State Building. Uh, and... and uh, we watched the Longhorns and OU game, which is, oh, God, it was a slaughter. Um, <laughs> but uh, the whole bar was decked out with Longhorn flags. Everybody in there was a Longhorn fan. They were all wearing, uh, you know, everybody who was there was wearing the, the burnt orange of the Texas Longhorn. So it was like, I got to I gotta have uh, have lunch and a, a drink or two with, with my friends. Like, it was like I was back in Austin in the middle of, of uh, New York City watching the game. That was cool. And then I went back to my hotel, and that's when all this craziness ensued. Um, but later, Saturday night, um, we, I went to a bar called Stitch or Stitches or something like that, which is where they had the, the Geek Girl Network or Girls Gone Geek or whatever the heck they call it, um, the, their third annual party or whatever. And I got a chance to hang out. I, I, I saw and hang out with, hung out with all night uh, Amber Love and her friend Ashley. So me and Amber and Ashley are all like best friends now because <laughs> we spent about four or five hours together just drinking and talking and having fun. So um, 
she at one point amber looked at me and she goes you know if you guys show up to super show next year you're not going to end up spending any time at your booth <laughs> and i was like ah oh, damn you <laughs> um so jim uh be prepared to man the table um <laughs> with the baby <laughs> yep <laughs> so um there was that 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 it was crazy because all this stuff that happened with the bank was so stressful that even after everything was fixed, I was still feeling the after effects of I, I was basically still freaking out inside because I was so freaked out earlier. So I was still like on edge and for about an hour or two afterwards after everything was fixed. So going to the bar and hanging out was really helpful because it finally gave me a chance to just have fun and relax and kind of forget about all of that. So even though I didn't get a chance to see the city Saturday, I still had a lot of fun on Saturday. Did you tell Jim about the meta revelation you had about the subway system? I couldn't. I don't understand how New York City exists. <laughs> I love. I love this. I have no <laughs> idea how the city. This city is essentially an island, right? Manhattan is an island. Right. Right. Which is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds of concrete and steel skyscrapers sitting on top of this island which isn't that bad however this whole damn island is inside inside of this island underneath these skyscrapers is this large hollow network <laughs> i have no idea how the damn thing doesn't flood or collapse in on itself <laughs> oh, chad it's an <laughs> island it's an island in that it it's not connected on the sides to the mainland but underneath the island is, like, a ton of bedrock. No, no, Jim. Very, very it's, strong bedrock. It's floating. <laughs> it's, it's not floating. It's, it's standing. It has a very firm base. I know. I know. But I just it, it, it kind of caught me when I was in the subway. Just, I was just thinking about it. I was like, this whole thing is being supported by a hollow web. How, how is all this being supported right now? It's magic, Chad. We're all floating on the back of a giant sea turtle. It's no, the, no, no. It's the hopes and dreams of children everywhere. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about like how the island itself doesn't sink in. I'm wondering how the city, the weight of the city's skyscrapers, don't collapse the hollow network underneath it. <laughs> it... I mean, do you want an actual explanation or? That a rhetorical question because I have an actual explanation for you. Well, you're the guy who plays with concrete all day, so exactly. go ahead and tell me. Yeah, go, well, go get your lab coat and clipboard and tell them. But what happens is, like, when you have something, you know, on the ground, then, like, for every foot, you know, down you go, the 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 weight of that object is dispersed. Um, and in, in addition, anytime you have a skyscraper like that you actually have to build footings that go, like, really far down into the ground. So it's not like it's being, you know, held up, like, just above the subway. It actually has, like, you know, pylons that are, you know, going much deeper than the subway to, to hold up the buildings. Um, Jim, if that was true, the trains would crash into them. Well, well that's why it's a subway network and not... <laughs> like a subway like free free floating system where they can go in any direction they want they're going around <laughs> around stuff um 
And also, it's, you know, tons and tons of concrete back when they actually used to make concrete strong. Wait, they don't do that anymore? <laughs> yeah, not as much. I mean, if you, you look at the Empire State Building, like, that thing is built, like, it could withstand, like, just about anything. Whereas, you know, more recent buildings, they don't put as much... The Empire State Building was over-engineered. A lot of the stuff back then was over-engineered because they didn't know as much as they know now. Now it's like, okay, well, we can get by with this. So it's over-engineered a little, but to no, nowhere near the extent that it was. So that's why you can have a building that was built like 10 years ago that could just completely shatter because, you know, it turns out that the stone wasn't right or the concrete wasn't right or whatever. Stuff like that. The more you know. Do, do, do. Uh, we should, how long have we been recording? Holy crap. Isn't this, just, yes. isn't this supposed to be just intro? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It'd be great. Like, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. Like I, I didn't know what to expect going into this, but I feel like it went pretty well, except for Saturday. I, f I think we can agree Saturday kind of bombed no matter where you were, but <laughs> pretty much, but yeah, this is good. And I think this kind of, this kind of sets the pace for New York Comic Cons going forward. As long as we skip Saturday and Jim doesn't show up, everything will be great. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what you call it? Since I, you know, I didn't go to this one. I said to Lauren, I'm like, I'm like, come hell or high water. I am going to super show. I'm like, that's with or without you and James. It'll be like six months then, right? Yeah, yeah, right around that. I remember you told me when you found out Super Show's dates, you said to her, so, are you and the baby coming? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> that's true. Um, which, she thinks that, you know, she will end up coming. Because Super Show is the kind of show where she's just like, it's like, oh, man, we have to go again. And then as soon as we're there, she's like, oh, that was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got to see everybody. Oh, good. So she's like, I'm really glad that you talked me into going. But that's only after we're there. Yeah. Up until then, she's just like, God. But she gets to see us. That's, you know, like, that's definitely the, you know, the draw. Like, getting to see the people that she knows. So. Yes. Chad, you think you're coming this time, right? Um, my, um, vacation time resets at the beginning of the new year, so I don't see why I wouldn't be able to come unless somebody else gets, um, seniority or priority bidding and happens to request those exact days. Um, that should give me enough time to save up and, and all that stuff. Uh, plus April 6th, the first day of, uh, Super Show is my birthday, so... Uh, it'd be a nice birthday present to myself to be able to go. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm I'm going to make a good effort to be there. Um, but I'm not, you know, uh, there there are any number of things that could happen to lead to me not going um, just with work and stuff. But I, I, I should be able to go. Happy birthday. We threw you a convention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's still an awesome show. We still get to see a lot of people like Adam and Comfort and Katie Cook and you know, I get to see you guys and Lauren. I get to meet the new baby and, you know, say hi to Adam Murdo and, you know, do a little back back issue diving, which I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to do at New York Comic Con. Um, 
so I just completely stayed away from all that. Your eyes lit up when you found that booth of, like, $10 hardcovers, and then you cried a little when you saw they were all Marvel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, they were all Marvel? Yeah. Yeah. You sure that the DC wasn't on the other side of the booth? No, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Because that's usually what they do. <laughs> oh. Um, I, and I know exactly which booth you're talking about, too. Nice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, plus, uh, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, Amber's going to be there. Probably uh, Harold Jeanette will be there. That kind of stuff. So, <clears throat> it'd be cool. Is there anything else we need to mention about New York? Um, not really. I don't think so. Jim, do you have any more burning questions? Um, no. I, even though I didn't go, I was able to get a commission and a print. Yeah, yeah. I'm still, <laughs> yeah. I'm still debating over whether or not I'm gonna mail that or bring it to Super Show. <laughs> Listen, at least, at least scan it and give it to him if he wants to do something with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you scan the the, the sketch, then uh, I could definitely wait. I'll probably just mail it. We won't tell we won't tell you, dear listener, what this sketch is. But I can tell we can tell you the story oh, of, of picking up. Tell him picking it up. <laughs> yes. Tell that. Tell him. We walk. <laughs> we walk up to Andrew Charpar's booth to pick up a sketch for Mister Ford here. Um. And we say, uh, our friend Jim uh, got a commission, and uh, he should have paid for it or everything or worked out something with you already. Uh, he, at least that's what he told us. And Andrew gives us this look. And in my mind, I'm thinking this look is, who are these people coming up and asking for a commission for somebody else? He looked like he wanted to throw us out of his house. No, no, that's, that's not what this look was. Uh, he slowly reaches down while maintaining eye contact with <laughs> he us. doesn't look away <laughs> slowly slowly pulls this commission out and gives it to he us he keeps almost showing us and then yeah gradually getting it up closer to the top of the table yeah and and then he finally shows it to us and then i realize that the look on his face is that who the fuck are you guys it's what the fuck is i don't this? know why this commission was requested i don't know what he wanted with it I just know that this is what he requested, and and, and here you go, and uh, maybe you guys can shed some light on this. And we couldn't. We couldn't. We could not. No. We, we could not. <laughs> you guys were left in the dark. And then we parted ways in shame. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll, uh, it, it'll be evident. It'll all come to light. Oh! Yes. <laughs> it'll all come to light with next i don't know well as soon as i get it from dan basically yeah i'll, pro I'll probably mail it because scanning it seems like too much work but walking to the post office doesn't well do you have a scanner it's, it's right next to me so put it in the damn scanner that's scan too much work oh <laughs> and the print was uh daniel hdr's <laughs> uh is Justice League homage to Hanna Barbera characters? Yeah, was that, uh, yeah. that that Justice League International cover where they're all like arms folded? It's a group shot and they're kind of looking up at you, but with Hanna Barbera superheroes. Yeah, I'm kind of upset about the people that were there that I didn't 
remember to get a chance to see, like uh, Yildre Sinar or yeah. Daniel HDR. Can I just say, yes. Chad, Chad, or one of you, I don't remember which, asked me after the fact, you know, you know, did you talk to Daniel HDR? And, yeah, that was me. Yeah, and until you said that, I completely forgot he did work on Green Lantern. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, he did those issues. That he did, he didn't he draw like our favorite issue of the year. <laughs> yes, he did. Oh, that'd have been great for me to talk to him about. <laughs> yeah, and he lo- he loves doing it. Like he would love to come back and do a Green Lantern comic, and I would love it too. Cause like, I mean, aside from the fact that he's like really good. I mean, he also puts stuff in the background, so it's like, it's almost, it's layered, in that you can, like, look for, like, Easter eggs and stuff like that. Daniel HDR is to Jim what uh, Tom Wynn or Scott Collins is to me. (laughs) Basically. Basically. Yes. Okie doke. Yeah, okay, so I guess the next thing you're going to hear is a string of interviews we did on the show floor in our alley with who was it with Nia Rapino, Scott Collins, Adam Withers, and am I forgetting anybody? Um, I don't think so. All right, so there's that, and that'll that'll be it for our New York Comic Con 2012. Oh, and then at the end, uh, hopefully there will be if if he can get it in. Um... Uh, a voicemail from Edgar Rios about his thoughts on New York Comic Con. Yes, oh, yes, and that's the other thing. I, I finally got to meet Edgar. After talking to him on this show multiple times and being at the same show as him, like, for years, I finally got to see this guy in person, shake his hand, and spend a few minutes talking to him. So it was great getting to meet Edgar, finally. <laughs> yes. He was very helpful. Okay, um... You go we'll uh, just leave everybody with the information about the show and but don't don't go anywhere because there will be plenty afterwards um if you want to email us lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast.com is the website we're on itunes just do a search for green lantern or lanterncast you'll find us either way and uh i don't know we have a facebook we have a forum you can find all that on the webpage. also a twitter blah 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 and if you'd like to stream us, we are on Stitcher. Yes, we are. Yes. Oh, and uh, voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. 708-LANTERN. Yep. Okay, and now the interviews. Light the lantern, everybody. No, no. No, that, that, that lives and dies in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just wait. Uh, It'll catch on. I'll make sure it doesn't. Okay. I'll edit it out, or I'll I'll like (laughs) just bleep it. (laughs) Bleep the lantern, everybody. (laughs) You just made it worse or or better. (laughs) Now we are okay. Uh, This this is the side that's gonna be recording, not the back. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, this is Chad and. Dan, hey. Yeah, and uh, we're at New York Comic Con, final day, Sunday, midday, uh, and we're here with uh, Scott Collins. Hey, Scott. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, sir. Um, we uh, had you on once already, uh, but we had to come by again, especially uh, considering, uh, well, first the news that you'll be doing the, the New Guardians annual, 
Uh, and are you are you also doing some work on a on a, another lantern related book? Um, some sort of crossover thing? Yeah, there'll be a uh, um, compendium of a bunch of other stories all put together uh, in the storyline that I'm going to be doing that I think is supposed to be an ongoing storyline for the foreseeable future uh, deals with Larflees. Mm-hmm. And is 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 uh, Larflees? I mean, he's he's got all of those uh, those crazy alien constructs. Larflees himself kind of looks like a, a a wolfish beast. Does that uh, really cater to your love of the monster genre? Yeah, very much so. Um, and I love the Green Lantern stuff too. So I think it's gonna be a great mix. And uh, one one specific thing we wanted to talk more in depth about, we talked about it when I interviewed you at Austin Comic Con, but uh, your Solomon Grundy series, you know, we're getting real close to Halloween, Halloween, so we thought we'd, you know, maybe spotlight it and tell any stories we wanted to of talking about it. Um, in, in particular, your love of uh, monsters really made that book pop. Um, I know that Jeff kind of teased it for uh, DC for you and got him to approve the book, uh, but you really took it and grew it into its own thing. What was yeah, I mean, Jeff did help me um, not only get it approved, but he also gave me, we had some of the initial talks about what he thought would be the best direction for the book in general and the goal of the book and that sort of thing. Um, and then he was just uh, the best partner in the world because he gave it to me and said, go ahead and run with it. And that was my first uh, real credited writing job uh, in mainstream comics. And it was a whole issue of seven, uh, seven issues uh, of storyline that actually I wasn't initially prepared for, but it turned into a great thing. Um, I had a whole bunch of fun guest stars that uh, Grundy could bounce off of and deal with and in different stuff. Um, and yeah, the, the whole horror angle was just one of those fun things that I haven't had a whole lot of in comics. We've had little drips and drabs of it here and there, a little bit in Flash and some other books. Um, but this was full on, you know, Halloween for seven issues. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things we were going to uh, wonder is, so obviously he's, he set up some of the stuff uh, in the storyline uh, regarding uh, the seven days, the, the seven days to uh, do this or that with with Grundy to, to, to redeem himself, rather. Um, what about uh, the other stuff that happened in that particular storyline, such as such as the uh, the blowing up Alan Scott's battery and all that other stuff? Um, what what specifically led you to, to do those types of things in your storyline? Um, a lot of them were just coming from the fact of uh, saying, okay. I love Solomon Grundy. I've been wanting to do something like this for years and years and years. What are the things that I would want to see in a Solomon Grundy book? And actually, the breaking of the lantern was one of the first things that popped in my head going, it has nothing directly to do with the rest of the arc, but it would be so much fun to do. Um, and it turned in perfect for the arc as well because then it shoved Green Lantern into his whole busy world. And then, because Green Lantern during the storyline is almost like a watchdog to make sure that everything is goes how it's supposed to go with Solomon Grundy or with Cyrus Gold and all that stuff. Um, and that way the breaking of the lantern was a perfect setup of like it got rid of Green Lantern for a while so that we could just deal with Solomon Grundy and his descent into madness and his whole origin and whether he could come out of it himself because we don't want anybody to shove it into him for him. They, they didn't want to solve it for him. We want to see if he would do it himself. And that's something I wanted to ask you about because you were also the writer on the Grundy stories. Like what? Now I always think of you primarily for your art but like what's that? That's got to be a different experience being responsible for both ends of the story, like especially when it's like you know it's going to be like this like big six or seven issue thing. Like, what was your, like, how was your relationship to the material with that different from something you're just the artist on? More nerve-wracking is actually how it came around. Um, I was very excited about it, and I've always wanted to do stuff that I got to write and draw myself. 
because those were the heroes that I grew up with reading. The John Burns, George Perez did that, Frank Miller, Jack Kirby. All those guys were um, primarily maybe even known more as, as the artists, but also did plenty where they wrote uh, and drew their own material. So that's always something I wanted to do and I'll continue to do. Um, but initially, because you know it was my first job for them, I was very worried about it. And then just dealing with editorial, which is its own kind of, you know, uh, nerve-wracking experience first time around. Um, it was, it was very intense. It was great, um, but you know, I had to go through, and I had to get my lumps too. I had turned in the the first script um, for the miniseries, and uh, this was after we already had some major changes in there from what we've started with. It always had to grow and grow as it went. Um, but I turned in the first script for the whole issue, and uh, the editor got it, read it, called me back, and said, "Okay." I like a couple cool things about this, but you've got the wrong villain. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. So you're gonna write a whole new script. Like I like the title, but can you change everything else? Well, and you know, it's still the the setup of the story was in there, so that was the part that he wanted to keep is what we agreed upon and what was gonna happen during the seven issues. But like in the first issue, the villain I had was um, one of the villains I just pulled out of. Uh, initially, the villains for the series were purely the ones I wanted to throw in. And one of them I want to throw in for monster's sake was I thought it'd be really fun to have Solomon Grundy fight Plasmus from a Titans villain. Um, and even though it was a really cool fight, they said Plasmus is cool, but we don't think this is right to start off the whole series this way. So that's where then it changed to having Demon in the first issue, which was fine and good because actually then he played in almost as much as uh, Alan Scott did for the rest of the series of what was going to happen to Cyrus and Solomon Grundy and the whole deal. So we had like the warring factions of good and evil whirling all around Solomon Grundy again. What was he going to decide to do at the end? So it turned into a perfect growth for the story. It must have been really time consuming as opposed to like a lot of other work because now you're filling the jobs of at least two people on this story. Yeah, well, not so much during as it went because as once it got started and I was working on um, issue two or three or four, um, like I say, I was working on issue two, I was already working on issue three, the scripting of it, and plotting of four, more detailed plotting, stuff like that, while I was doing the pages. So that was all kind of part of the same job. But I spent like two months, I think, before we started the first issue, ramping up with working on the plot of the architecture, what the story was going to be, and all that. So that part of it was new for me, um, working on that whole beginning process and making sure all the framework was as solid as it could be. And. Uh with 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 the Grundy series specifically, if you remember, I mean, I, of course, you're being an artist, you remember back when Marvel first started up. You know, they would always do the art first, and then throw the throw in the scripts for the for that kind of stuff. What, being the writer and the artist, I mean, I know you said you had to turn in some scripts, but once you got the basic plot approved, did, was there more of art first, then writing later, or it's kind of a middle kind of path, which I think is more natural for me. Is just that. Um, uh, the scripting doesn't always come to me initially like I think it might come to some other writers where they always hear their voices immediately and that sort of stuff. Um, so they know what the characters are saying and that might help direct even how the page goes or the plot goes. Um, I'm more visual with the artist, so I think more in just general plot terms of this person goes here, then he's in danger there, then he fights this person here, which turns, leads to this next you know, uh, plot element, whatever it is. Um, but for me, it wasn't a matter that I drew stuff first. I know I've heard the stories of other guys that, you know, you write one page or a paragraph of plot for an issue and then you just draw whatever you're drawing, from, expand it from that. I didn't go that far. I did still have a plot that I had worked out for the whole issue page by page of what was going on. 
It's just I would throw in drips and drabs of what I thought the dialogue was going to be and why it was going to, uh, what usefulness it was going to be for. So that while I was drawing the issue, then then I would go back, and that was where the back half of it was. Is yes, I would be retooling the script constantly while I was drawing the issue. And with, with this particular story, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, like I love your monsters and stuff. I'm a huge Phantom Stranger fan. So what was was that all you bringing him in as kind of like uh, the revelation of what's happening to Grundy, or was that something that DC wanted? And, and if it was you, what was your inspiration for that? Because I mean, it doesn't really get much stranger than the Phantom Stranger. Right. We know that right. the deal loves the Phantom Stranger, so he yeah. might say, yeah, slide him in there. <laughs> you know what? Um, actually, no, in this case, I don't think it did come from Dan. It was in the early talks uh, with Jeff about what we were going to do, and it was a large discussion point, not as much about the Phantom Stranger, but then he got teamed up with Alan Scott, and there was a big discussion with us of like having Alan Scott in the series or not, because Every time Solomon Grundy appears, usually Alan Scott is there. Yeah. And you don't always want to do the same thing if it doesn't work well for the story. Um, so, in fact, uh, part of that whole two months that I worked in prep beforehand, I worked for a couple of weeks in setting up an issue and everything like uh, the, the storyline, the plot line, with Alan Scott in there. Then I talked to Jeff again about it. We had a couple more discussions, and he goes, you know what? I like Alan Scott and everything else, but it's too typical. Let's take it out. So then Alan Scott was gone from the whole story. So then I reworked the whole plot again, work it in. We have we have we had this other person who was going to wind up working the mystical side of it a little bit and carrying that thing of it was going to be a new character. Oh. Um, and who was going to do it? It wasn't Phantom Stranger. Um, and then I get that whole thing worked out. I actually did thumbnails then off of my plot for the whole issue to help sell what we were going to do for that, since it was all new characters and whatnot. Um, and then I showed it and talked to Jeff about it. And he goes. Yeah, you know what? I thought about it again, and this is like last minute. I, like next week, I was supposed to start drawing the issue, and we had to go. And Jeff goes, mm, "Everything's cool. I think we need Alan Scott in there again." <laughs> I'm like, "There goes all my 22 pages of that again." But I was very happy that he made that decision because initially that was what I still thought was the strongest way to go, and um, and then we both agreed upon that. So brought Alan Scott back in and did all the rest of it going on. So. Uh, it just goes back and forth. Uh, the Phantom Stranger, as far as I know, was only thrown in with Alan Scott as part of like the duo of them. Of yeah. So they could talk it out instead of having one person talk to himself, kind of like, yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah. They could argue about what's going to happen and how it's happening and whether it's going to work, that sort of thing. And you knew going in it was going to be like a mini-series kind of a thing. But when when you... What was it like to end even something that was so was was such a short run with, on a sour note? Like it was it was it wasn't this happy ending like where where Cyrus Gold is redeemed and you know all this stuff. But no, that was that was in my proposal from the beginning, um, saying okay, uh, the main uh, hit points that we had for the uh, proposal for the miniseries was one: we want to show that if you wanted to, honestly, you could do a Solomon Grundy regular monthly book. And this is how we're going we're gonna to show you how you can do it. <clears throat> the second one was, okay, we're doing this redeemed storyline, but the end of the story is he will not be redeemed. This is not a happy story. This isn't, you know, we're going to turn him into a pseudo hero or any of this kind of crazy stuff. He's an unpredictable hero, so he can do some good or be questioned about, you know, not being quite so evil at times. Um, but the end result is still, this is a horror story of at least some caliber. Um, so it was always going to be that he was not going to go the right road. Um, the only thing that was added on about midway was uh, more of the Black Lantern stuff. Um, but Jeff was very much like, if you want to and if it works, 
great if you want to do that if you don't want to you do not have to you do not have to have anything a part of it if you don't want to it it's not that tied in that it has to be there by the end of the series and i went no are you kidding that's one of the best endings ever so um i was all for it and that's where you know i even pushed for it to be on the cover and everything else going i don't care if it's a spoiler it's awesome you got to put it in there we're never going to get this chance again that's actually i'm glad you bring up the ending because when i first read the last like two pages of that final issue my knee-jerk reaction was to be kind of like annoyed that all of a sudden it's a Blackest Night crossover within like one, the final page. But then like I thought about it a little more. I'm like, well, that actually really like tonally really fits with the whole theme of him like coming back every seven days and everything anyway. So it was, it was more of a natural fit. Yeah, no, I think it was too. And then again, it would it fit into the whole. This is a horror story. It's not going to end well. We have to have bad things happen. I guess in a minor way. I can understand where um, it kind of divided the ending of the story where the half of the story was that Cyrus, you know, doesn't redeem and goes down to hell. And then we, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with Solomon Grundy after that. Um, and that, you know, now we'll just see that it's a Black Lantern thing. But honestly, I think even in my original plot line of it, yes, we were going to have Cyrus go down to hell and we're going to have, you know, what was going to happen to Solomon Grundy. But I still wanted to have some sort of Solomon Grundy then rising from the end to at least know he's still there. Something's going to happen. It's just in the Black Van Lantern version, you go, oh, okay, he's a Black Lantern version of it now. Whereas, I guess another version I might have done at the time would have been him rising up, leaving more of a question for the fans going, wait a minute, if Cyrus is in hell and he's locked there, who's in this now? What's going on with this? And leave it open-ended. Again, my real focus of it all um, uh, that Jeff and I had talked about was, you know, this could be a monthly book going on and on and on if sales were there. Um, and, you know, just the idea of, like, even, you know, you could have a Solomon Grundy for a while without Cyrus Gold, you know. Not to always do this connection like some people do, but we've had Hulk without Bruce Banner. Yeah. So you can change it around and play with it some more and keep going. Yeah, and when we when resurrection, I should say constant resurrection, is such a central theme of the character and his whole deal, it's a, it does kind of, when you pull back like a step, it's like, well, it does seem kind of silly to get upset over him coming back as a Black Lantern because he was probably going to come back anyway at some point in some way. He's always going to come back. There's always going to be some other little twist and turn with his character, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was just another version on it. And because it was happening at the time, I just thought that would be too much fun. Have you been reading the new Earth 2 series? R2? The Earth 2? Oh, uh, some. I haven't caught up with it. No, I've... I've glance at it, but I've had so much other reading with the other books I've been working on. Okay, I just wasn't sure if you saw that he is. He is. So, so you might want to check it out. <laughs> See if you like the interpretation they're going with. Alright, here's the first question. Is he smart or dumb? He's smart. Is he? Kind of. He's, he's almost like a... I don't want to spoil too much. Almost like a Necron. Oh, okay. O almost like a Necron. Alright. He's, he's got this, like, undead butcher kind of thing going on. Yeah. Robinson's writing that, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'll be checking that out. And uh, Yildre Sinar is about to go on the art, uh, well, but probably after this Grundy storyline. Oh, okay. um, but before we, we let you go and get back to your con, uh, do you happen to have anything uh, upcoming you want to promote? I mean, you got your Lantern books, but anything else? Uh, anything? Uh, yeah, there's other DC work I'm doing, the Legion, four issues of Legion of Superheroes, uh, 0, 13, 14, and 16. Um, the Green Lantern, New Guardians, annual number one is the next thing I'm working on. I'm not sure when that's coming out. By summer or, or where are we now? I guess fall. <laughs> Probably come out in the fall. Um, but the other thing I would like people to check out is um, I have a deviant art um, site that I regularly go to now. 
Um, and I'm leaving hints and uh, will be announcing hopefully soon my first creator-owned uh, new book. Um, so go to deviantart.com and check out Colin's art, K-O-L-I-N-S art, um, and check that out and read more about it and see what you think of it. Any hints on future story, what, what, what that is? Plot line, anything you want. I mean, it's your create your own thing, so you tell me, you decide what you want to reveal. But it's action adventure. It's not that far removed from what I'm done in my other mainstream books. Um, I think in some ways it might be conceived a little more old-fashioned, but I'm taking lots of crazy turns and twists with it, lots of risks. So I don't think it's going to be uh, tired and boring. I'm always trying to do something new with it. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be my best work. I think this is going to be the thing, fingers crossed, that after Flash and maybe something like Grundy or some of my Avengers work that people will know me for. Really? Is it, you know, you, get, you have a title yet? Or would that reveal too much? I can't re reveal oh, no, the title okay, yet. Okay, okay. Be before we let you go, I do have one last question that just popped into my head. Uh, with your, your upcoming Lantern stuff next year with Valera Fleas and with the annual, which Scott Collins are we going to be getting? Are we going to be getting the kind of artwork we saw in Grundy or the kind from Flash with the more textured? Um, the Green Lantern stuff so far, like the Legion stuff, has been more like Flash. It's been very open and clean like that. Lara Fleas I'm not sure yet because I haven't seen the scripts for the uh, story, so I don't know the tone of it. And I don't know exactly which way that Keith Giffen is going to take that going on. So that's where a lot of times when my art does change, it's for the tone of the story of what I'm dealing with. Um, so we'll see what happens when it comes. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right. Uh, this, this is Chad and Dan, uh, and we're here at uh, New York Comic Con. Uh, day Sunday, uh, midday. And uh, we're here with Nia Rufino, colorist on New Guardians and... Blackest Night Wonder Woman, and basically anything Green Lantern related that's great. Hi, how are you? Um, we're all right. Um, for the longest time, actually, uh, I wasn't on the show yet, but about episode eight or nine, and we've got, mind you, over 150 episodes, these guys first started the podcast and talked about uh, recognizing your work. So it's been in our minds that when you think of, if it's good Green Lantern colors, it's Nii. Uh And it's... It, it's it's rare that people notice a colorist just being, you know, they, they, they're like, oh, the ink's messed up or the color, but they never talk about the colorist. And it's, it's so great to have your work on our books. And it's, it's what's, what's it like working on those books? It's fantastic. You get to use pretty much every color of the spectrum and everything is over the top and you get to really just play with everything. Yeah. And Tyler said he requested you specifically on uh, New Guardians. What was, what was that process like? Uh, we had actually been wanting to work together for a few years and uh, hadn't really got our chance yet. Um, and when he came to D.C., he asked for me specifically and uh, if he took the book. And my editors said, yeah, they can get her. So I actually ended up having to leave Supergirl for Green Lantern. <laughs> and did that go over well with uh, everyone at D.C.? Or? Uh, my editor was a little sore that I had to leave, but he found somebody uh, just as good as me. So, you know. Nobody no, no, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> I was wondering, with a with a something like Green Lantern, where you've got all these aliens with all these, you've got so many skin tones going on. You've got all these constructs that have to be a certain color. All of these, like all this energy out there, it seems like there's so much to keep track of. Like, do they? Like, it's first, like, is it really time consuming to color a Green Lantern book? And also, like, do they load you up with kind of like reference and character sheets, or do they just kind of throw you into it and to drive yourself crazy? Well, at first, uh, there was a lot of art direction, you know, just when you're learning how to do everything. 
there's so, you know they give you a certain amount of reference but they don't always give you exactly what you need but there's a really good website around for that you know so you go and find your own reference if you need and uh, it's not really too hard I guess it is fairly time-consuming but after doing it for a few years you really kind of get in the groove of things and you you once you learn the mythology and the uh, the whys and everything it's not really too bad trying to figure out and, and whatnot well, with Blackest Night Wonder Woman and with all the Star Sapphire stuff we're seeing in New Guardians, I'm going to go on a leap. Maybe the Star Sapphires might be one of your favorite things to color. I'm not sure. Do you have a favorite? or? Um, I definitely, I like doing uh, the Blue Lanterns and their home world. That, that, I'm not going to spoil anything. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say something. No, it's something that already came out, but just in case. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, I mean, the Star Sapphires are, I do color like coloring them an awful lot. Um, I like doing the Red Lanterns on their homeworld a lot because I, I actually have a, a, a fondness of coloring blood, but. <laughs> <laughs> we don't blame you. <laughs> um, and the, the one thing that's great is specifically about any Lantern title with a colorist is you've got these, em these colors that correspond with emotions. But at the same time, the, even though they're a lantern with star sapphire, let's say love, there can be an angry color to their love. What's what's that like? Are you picking that particular shade of that color to to express that emotion? Uh, well, you can't really play with it too much that way because the editors are very like, if your pink is looking too uh, too purple, they're like, oh, it's looking now it's looking too much like the indigo lanterns. Yeah. Pull it back. So you can't play with it a whole lot. You really kind of have to feed off of the background colors and the setting the mood that way. Okay. Uh, something that uh, it's fairly recent, I guess, that you just worked on. It was like a it was a New Guardians issue, like the 11th or something, where like one of the characters, Monk, he's just cycling through all of the different energies, just seeing what works. And we got this page, this two pages of, you know, now here's him with the predominantly yellow light source, and they cycle through it. There's this one shot. It's like a half page of him firing, I think, orange, where it's just, it's a close-up of his face and like the intense glow of the light emitting from him and how it plays off of his skin tone and like the directionality of everything. It's like, it's, it was such like a vibrant, like, like it burned itself into my brain. It's like, like, that's what I think of now when I hear of your work. I'm like, cause there's this, this, this mindset out there of like this very generic, like, oh, just like put like a flat color in there and like that's all right, it's yellow, so it's flat yellow, but like, I almost want to like just show that panel to people, just to like show like the kind of like how like how powerful an image can be once it's colored competently. And uh, you're very busy here at your table, so we don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, is there anything coming up you'd like to promote? Uh, Creator-owned, whether you're working with DC or any other company, anything at all you'd like to promote? Um. Well, I will be working, uh, continue working on New Guardians with the new artist, Aaron Cooter, and okay. it's fantastic. We have a great working relationship already, mm -hmm. and that's that really is, uh, you know, it's, it's good things coming in the future. Um, I've just started Soulfire through Aspen. Uh, we've got a new artist on that, Mike DeBalfo. It's his first project he's ever done, and he's kicking ass. And um, the other than that, I, I guess, really, I don't have too much new stuff to promote. Been doing some new work with Frank Cho and also some stuff with J. Scott Campbell. But okay. All right, cool. Well, have a great con, and it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And what would a convention be without us checking in with the, not to be saying with a, Adam Withers. Hi, Adam. Hello. How's it going? 
Good, good. How's business been? Pick up since Friday? Oh yeah, yeah. We've been really busy. This show is humongous. It's it feels a little bit like two conventions the way that they've got the artist alley separate from the exhibit hall, but it hasn't slowed things down any on this side. Yeah, if I feel like I'm at Mocha right now. It's like it's just it's like this I think was it Rob earlier called this like a, an airplane hangar? It feels like it's a whole like it's the most well lit room in the whole show. Like I would almost want to spend all my time in here. Yeah, yeah. If not for uh I don't even know if they've got card. I don't know. This is a really nice space. This is one of the nicest spaces. And if you look at it, this artist alley is as big as some whole conventions. You could really lose days just walking around in here, getting to see everybody and seeing what they've got. Chad, this artist alley versus Austin Comic Con. Same size. Sweet. Now, Adam, the other day, we had been talking about how amazing and utterly overwhelmingly amazing... Yeah, <laughs> the Green Lantern animated series is. Now, like an hour after we talked about that, they pulled DC Nation until January. Thoughts? Anger? Confusion? Uh, I'm working my way through the grieving processes already, uh, as I've been doing with Young Justice as word of its eminent cancellation circulates. It, it has actually been stated that they're canceling it? Not officially, but word is getting around a lot. Um, generally, they'd have been renewed by now if they were going to be. That doesn't mean it's a guarantee and nobody said anything official, but uh, it's not looking great, and it makes my heart very heavy. I mean, I've been told that at least this week's batch of new episodes for both shows are still available on iTunes. I don't know if that's going to continue or if that's like... If it doesn't go up, it's not going to be on iTunes, period, kind of thing. But I don't. It's just it's so bizarre. There's a booth upstairs showing off this amazing, like almost movie trailer-esque promotional thing for the unaired Green Lantern episodes. That like I looked at it and then got this tremendous. I got a smile on my face the size of your prints, just because like it's it looks so like I want it now, and it's being ripped away at least for a few months, maybe longer. Like, I, I don't... You commented how it seems like uh, the DC Entertainment side of things kind of has their their stuff in order more than DC Comics does. Like, And then someone like this comes around. Like, does, does this change at all how you feel about the cartoon production side of everything? Not at all. Uh, the producers of Green Lantern had no idea what was going on either. Uh, this seems like it's largely a Cartoon Network decision. I, I don't know. We don't know the mechanisms behind why this was done. I still stand firm that it seems clear to me as an outside viewer that DC Animation knows a lot more about those characters and understands those characters, the heart of them, better than DC Comics. And I understand that it's easier when you're starting a new animated series from scratch, like with Young Justice, to world build completely new. It could be argued, I would think rightly, that that was the opportunity they had with the new 52. They chose not to go that direction, but, you know, again, we don't know all the decision making that went in with that either. Mistakes have been made on both sides, but it, I don't think you can argue that the ca uh, cartoons aren't exceptional and that they aren't 
the purest distillation of what people love about those characters and who they are. Um, the Green Lantern series is more, it's a more broad audience, but I think of it as it's a Pixar cartoon. You know, it's not going to get as dark maybe, but if you look at some of the themes they've covered, even though they've covered them with some brightly colored characters with some sort of extra cartoony character models, they're talking about heavy stuff. You know, the, the backstory for Razor as it gets revealed, the, the history of the Red Lanterns has not been dulled down one iota. They have not softened the punch of where the Red Lanterns come from or how they came to be. They're not puking blood on everybody, but some might argue, and I, me among them, that that was always kind of a dumb choice anyway. And it's, it's so, it's kind of refreshing to see them, like, keep the mythology intact at places where they really didn't necessarily have to, but they chose to because it was already there and worked. They're keeping what works best, and they're trimming the fat. They don't have to juggle an entire universe. They don't have to worry about how this Green Lantern cartoon fits in with Justice League or any of the other DC comic properties. Being able to have such a free and open slate gives them the flexibility to use whatever works best and then go in and tinker. If you look at what they've done, they're using all, just about all of the major facets of the Green Lantern mythos that are being used right now, but they're using them in a way... If you look at the comics, a lot of these ideas have come in sort of piecemeal. And that's how it happens. When you're writing long-form storytelling, you have an idea, but it keeps getting refined over time, and new ideas come up, and you got to work those into the story and see how it all fits together. The cartoon writers have had the benefit of being able to look at the whole big picture at once and start from square one saying, knowing all of this, how do we shape the best story? How do we pick what works for everything we want and trim back the stuff that will get in the way? They don't have to make some of the mistakes in order to learn the lessons. They've already seen the mistakes made and can get a pure version of what it could be. Just so that we have it on tape. Your thoughts on the new Star Sapphire costume? Uh, I think it is the right direction. I, I think it's a really boring design. Uh, they could have taken the old one and just filled in the flesh with another color and it would have been more interesting because the design of it was okay, but they were far too nude. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that they're trying. I just wish that it would have had a cooler look. The end result is not as exciting as you would hope for, but it, you know, it's, it's hard to get worse than they had. Yeah. Are, you keeping up with the, are you keeping up with the series, the actual issues? Yeah. Yeah, any of them? I am quite a ways behind. It becomes harder the less excited you get by what you read. Um, in the broad strokes, I sort of know what's been happening. I try to keep my ear to the pulse somewhat, but my reading itself is way behind. I'm just curious, if once you get, get around to what's going on with the Blue Lanterns and uh, New Guardians. I have not yeah. I won't spoil. Yeah, because I think, as I recall, a chief criticism you had of them dating what a few years back now was that they're kind they're kind of neutered to be a support to the green lanterns and that does actually kind of come up in a storyline through the new guardian series that would be nice to see it is one of the major failings of the initial concept as presented it 
doesn't just neuter them as a core, but it neuters the concept of hope itself. It presents hope as being this powerless idea, and that's just not the way it works. And it also clashes with the concept of all of the other rings, because if you say that hope doesn't work without willpower, well, none of those other emotions work without willpower either. So why is it that hope is the only one that sits there like an infant dreaming of a better day with nothing to say about it while all the other ones are kicking ass in the universe? That does make sense. Yeah. Well, that's all we had for you. I know you're pretty busy right now. Um, but uh, anything you'd like to promote before we... Well, no, he sure. doesn't do anything. Well, let's go. <laughs> no, uh, we have launched a new website. Uh, comfortandadam.com. It is a one-stop shop for all of the comfort and Adam goodness you might ever want to see. Right now it's a little in its infancy, but everything is up as far as what you need to get for all of our other sites, all of our other links, all the comics that we produce, uh, free first issues for everything we've got. You can get it all there, and it's only going to get more robust over time. Is this in place of uniquescomic.com? Uniquescomic.com still exists, but it is linked to from comfortandatom.com also. So rather than having to remember all of our individual books, you can go to comfortandatom.com and find everything we do and take the link over to where the books are at. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I hope this has been an eventful weekend for you. It has been. It's always a good time.